Um, it, it really comes down to the degree to which we can accelerate R&D um, and, and get medicines out faster, both to reduce our costs and, and to reduce the, the patient's cost. I mean, if we're suffering problems with our data because we can't find it, we can't integrate it, you know, we don't know what the lost opportunity cost is, in quotes, right, for, for not only a novel cure or... Um, or a competitive advantage, because we're not putting the data together the right way, we're hindered by that. Um, we don't know what we're missing. My name is Kashif, and this is BioRadio. As biopharma research and development continues to transform digitally, the industry as a whole struggles with guidance on how data and relevant metadata are captured, managed, and shared. Typically, experimental data are siloed, stored in varying formats, difficult to retrieve and share, However, data needs to be better managed to be more collaborative, shareable, and interoperable. How can data standardization help towards a path so that systems can find, access, and reuse data with minimal human intervention? Today, we're here with Dana Vanderwall. Hi, I'm Dana Vanderwall. I'm at uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb now. I'm in the, the Discovery IT area. Uh, with uh, with a focus on right now biology and preclinical sciences, and I'm also um, chair of the board of directors of Altrop Foundation. Excellent. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, data and science are my favorite topic. So, <laughs> awesome. So let's jump right in. Uh, let's talk about the need for standardization. I know there was a report coming out in uh, 2015 from the FDA talking about uh, data integrity deficiencies. Uh, could you talk about that and, and perhaps the wider scope of issues and, and need around standardization? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it, it starts with something that you highlighted in your introduction where um, the, the, the context, the contextual metadata that, the, that describes either the, the experiment that's planned, the, the planned methodologies that are using being used, the preparation of the samples, the, the execution of the measurement and, and the data, even, even the sort of calculated or reduced results from those could, could all be living in separate, separate systems, separate IT systems, siloed. So you have this, this um, orphaned context and meaning from, from the ultimate results, which means that in order to put that information together in a report or to fully... Um, describe and, and record the, the results of that measurement, you know, f for something like a filing, um, somebody has to type that stuff or copy and paste it, um, read, read it from one system and type it into another. And, you know, those are just compounding opportunities for human error, um, dropping units, putting things in the wrong blank, typing strings that are non-standard, um, uh, you know, even even mixing up the data in, in one place or another, um, yeah. So the result is is that you have this very fragile and tenuous relationship that what I what I call sort of the um, uh, the conceptual provenance of the of the measurement result. So we think of provenance when it comes to data often very physically, like you you know where the result came. Provenance of a compound is being able to track the. Uh, the history of a sample. But there's this conceptual provenance that we lose sight of, and you can't like literally connect the pieces of information together. And this, and this human intervention to do it, you know, just, just causes problems. Speak to that a bit more. Where are the data lacking or where are the metadata lacking? And, and how have people captured or, or not captured those in the past? Yeah, so, so let's, let's think about, let's start with the result that we've analyzed and where we've said, okay, this thing 
um, our measured purity, our area under the peak is X, and 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 um, that that means our purity is eighty percent or something, right? Um, so, in order to really understand what that means, first of all, you have to be sure you know which sample it was, which lot of that sample, how it was prepared, um, and if the, the purity was less than what you'd expected, the next question you're going to ask is, well, how have we stored that? Has it been within the prescribed t temperature conditions or something, right? Or was there something different about the reaction conditions this time? Um, is it even a valid measurement? Um, which instrument was used? Has that instrument recently been tuned and sure. checked for, for quality on a test mix? You know, or was the column that we used to separate it? Uh, looking good. That peak, that peak looks funny. Why would that be? And then having to go back and find those bits of information about which instrument or which column or whether solvent was, was at the proper uh, ratio. Right now, those, those are frequently, you know, research efforts. The information's there. It's not like, you know, it just gets, gets thrown away, at least in, in most cases. Um, but, you know, the, the bits are not connected electronically. Right. So you're speaking... To the, to the fact that experimental data are distributed across multiple That's software right. applications, uh, databases, perhaps even documents. Typically, a researcher might rerun an experiment as opposed to just go find old data. Uh, do you think that plays into that? Yeah, it absolutely does. That's, um, you highlight the fact that those same pieces of contextual metadata are like tags, you know, meaningful handles. Um, we think of them as hashtags now, but right in the in the technical environment, they play the same role. They allow you to find things based on a concept as opposed to just having to know that it was George that ran this on Thursday and George always puts his experimental results in this folder. You want to be able to, to associate uh, many different tags with the data when you store it somewhere so that you've got different ways to search for it and find it. Um, in the absence of that, you you know the best search algorithm in, in a lot of environments is actually your personal network, having to know who typically runs this kind of thing, and then they would know where it gets stored. And in an environment where a there's there's a you know a fair bit of turnover, uh, and b we partner a lot of that stuff out, you know that that's actually harder and harder to rely on. Right. Um, so it actually does result uh, in the repetition of experiments when somebody can't find it. And uh, there's a, a consultant in sort of the data management, data architecture area who uh, had worked to uh, quantitate this effect in knowledge industries in general and had found after research that at a minimum there was, you know, 50, in general, 50% of rework in, in industries uh, based on not finding information. Um, not trusting the information when they find it, or just not being able to understand it because it missed the context. So we talked about data that already exists uh, in, in multiple formats or, or in multiple locations. What about the issue of proprietary file formats, um, which, which obviously limits the sharing and integration and reuse of data? Yeah, I mean, it, it plays into a couple of different ways. There's Again, we run into an integrity problem because if you can't directly extract it from a proprietary format or integrate it directly into another electronic form or a database, then people are left to exporting it, right. maybe, maybe in a CSV or something, or um, even just retyping it. Um, which, you know, more, more opportunities for human error, but, you know, really, really poor efficiency. So you spoke to the kind of past the problems. You've been in the industry for a bit. 
where do you think the industry is uh, now? Yeah, I mean, so there's been a phase where just basic software architecture and technologies available have um, improved the scenario a bit with you know, better access to APIs or recognition that application programming interfaces and web services are a much more effective way to integrate between applications. That said, the problem is, is that, you know, not only do these data, you know, as, as you go through the workflow, end up living in different software tools and databases, uh, those systems impose a particular data model and a data structure on those things when they're captured. And that's very often more a matter of, um, frankly, a tactical convenience of a software architecture at that time, as opposed to something that really reflects the meaningful structure of that data in the larger context of an experiment or science. Uh, and they're also typically sort of imbued with a local vocabulary. So even if we can get stuff out electronically via an API, via web service, it's still going to have to be translated and restructured. And there are times where, um, you know, you can't simply take apart data in one structure and put it back together in the other if you don't have the relationships. Or there are concepts which um, are either implied by a column header or just in the overall hierarchical structure of data, you have no way of capturing that electronically, even in a CSV, to rebuild it later. So you, so you actually lose information, you lose structure uh, to the knowledge that way. But um, that's, that said, you know, that did make things a little bit more efficient if there isn't still some kludginess to cleaning up. But I think the next generation is, is gonna be driven by this recognition that other industries uh, really made great strides in interoperability by standardizing, standardizing the, the content of the messages passed back and forth, pa uh, standardizing on the, the communication protocols and the approaches to things. And so I think that's one of the things that's going to be start, start to, you know, emerge in our space a little bit more frequently. Right. So just to take a step back, um, so we talked about disparate data sources, disparate data types all being put together in, in somewhat of a kludgy fashion. Uh, the evolution of that was uh, certain SDKs coming to the market in, in, in an attempt to make their data more accessible, more interoperable. What are we losing by not moving towards those open data models? Yeah, I mean, it's a, they definitely present an opportunity to simplify the the infrastructure, the interaction between different components in a particular solution space significantly because um, with the SDK approach, you're still you're still kind of managing pairwise interactions. You have flexibility in order to do that. But, you know, you, if you take n number of components that, that might integrate with one another, you still have an, a combinatorial combination of possible ways in which you connect those. Um, the, you know, the movement towards, um, you know, moving around a standard object, a standard description means that on the API side, you really only need one API or one sort of family of related APIs. Right. And then everybody moves the same object around. And so you go from, you know, N squared possible combinations to one. Per vendor yeah. and their own environment. Yeah. Right. So you talked about automated self-documenting and interoperable, so the reproducible process and, and reducing the manual effort. You, you also spoke about reduced time for method development and in, 
an, an improvement looking perhaps at similar substances which have been analyzed and and um, kind of taking a step forward improving the process of method execution do you have any examples that you can share around the benefits of, of automation and, and making the data more accessible yeah well actually if we start with the with the method side you know we do a, a fair amount of work with partnership and with outside people you know CROs CMOs testing labs and um, you know, it's not unusual that we develop a method to measure a particular substance in-house. And this is the way we want it done. We understand the quantitation. These are the right parameters. And then we hand that over to somebody else to execute in a lab outside of our own firewall. And that's in the form of a document. So they have to take and then recapitulate. Oftentimes they recapitulate it in their own structure of a document. But then they have to essentially uh, configure and and set up the instruments within their own environment correctly to match that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of room for interpretation in that. So um, we had a team look, look carefully at um, a fairly typical workflow in the pharmaceutical development space. Um, a simple HPLC method uh, used to either quantitate the amount of uh, material or verify that it's pure. And if you go through it stepwise, there was about 20 to 23 steps. There's a fair number of steps in there where, you know, whether it's inclusion of a drop down in the application with a control vocabulary, whether it's bringing up an electronic template where most of the values are filled in and you just add the one that's relevant today for runtime. Little things like this where you could squeeze out, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, maybe even five minutes in some places. And then several critical places where, you know, we could um, see eliminating one of these manual transcription steps or just eliminating human intervention, what at all, that would have a distinct effect on the data integrity downstream. Mm-hmm. And when you added it all up um, in one this one simple workflow, you could save 140 minutes. That was that was the ballpark estimate. And they were trying to be con- relatively conservative per experiment, per experiment, which, you know, yeah. OK, so that doesn't sound like a whole lot in companies that might have, you know, 30 to 100,000 employees, except when you consider the fact that that one experiment, that one measurement is executed somewhere between 10 and 20,000 times a year wow. in the average pharma company. Wow. So let's take the conservative estimate of 10,000 times a year. What we're talking about is saving 20,000 FTE hours. Right. That's a and lot that's of one experiment, <laughs> one instrument, one technique, right? right? And we use a plethora of techniques, and many of them are much more complicated. Right. No, that's great. Um, so you touched on method recapitulation uh, being time consuming. On the data capture side of that, could you also talk about the 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 metadata side of that right yeah so um, actually before we leave method recapitulation I, 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 another enormous impact this will have is on that integrity so around the same time that the you know the, the you cited the, the one of the reports around the number of warning letters the the fd fda 483 letters around data integrity there's a report um put out that suggested that the total research spend for preclinical research in the U.S. was on the order of uh, $56 billion, and that $28 billion of that, roughly, 25 to $28 billion, was deemed irreproducible. Wow. So almost half. Half the budget. Wow. And when they dove down into the root causes of this, um, a very large one was the 
lack of uh, sufficient characterization of starting materials or reagents or poor characterization, bad analytical analysis or faulty data in the analysis or failure to communicate the, the analysis. And then right after that was the lack of detail or mistakes in the methods and the protocols. Um, so that's huge. Yeah, it's 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 having a big effect on life sciences. And, you know, we we, we just we still tend to think about it in fairly tactical terms, where in fact, we can get at these root causes in a fairly straightforward way. So part of it's just kind of wiring up our systems to recognize that at any given point in the workflow, we know a lot about that. Somebody in our somebody in our electronic universe in the company knows everything we need to know about that. We just haven't enabled uh, an electronic flow of that to capture with the data. And you know, where where we're headed ultimately is data packages that allow us to take all that important context as it's developed and package it with the raw data and the calculated results. And that centralization of that is not useful not only for useful indexes and, and, and search capabilities and integration capabilities downstream, but it also ensures that that context, no matter who comes and goes from the company, is you know more or less permanently embedded with the data. So you, you spoke earlier about the re recapitulation of the data kind of going, here's our method to a CRO to run a, a set of experiments um, that obviously can be shared across multiple CROs. What about the data that you receive? Where's the problem with how you intake the the results? I mean, there's really no problem as long as a PDF is a satisfactory way to interrogate data. And and that to a, a scanned PDF, right? <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, right. Not often, not not too often is it actually a uh, a really written PDF, right? There's they're not active; they're dead data. As one of our one of our partners likes to say, that's dead data. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a real issue and. Um, it, it can cause issues if you look at the you looking at a, a spectra, a scan, a plot, or something, and you're you're not quite sure if that's a little peak on that shoulder, or is that just an artifact in in the plot? Um, you, you can't because it's not real data, and you're not looking at an actual viewer. There's no way to zoom in. There's no way to to click on it and see if it's actually got some information in the background for it. So you have to get in touch with somebody if it's important. Get in touch with somebody back at the CRO, and you know um, that's pretty transactional, and that's not sort of immediate. It's not like you probably pick up a phone and say, "Hey, can you look at this experiment real quick?" Right. Um, so, and then you also, you know, you're, you're pretty much, um, unless you really want to pay a substantial price and risk debt integrity, there's no way to take those results and integrate them in-house with the other data that you're generating. So you've got data that's just basically, you know, it's on the other side of the Grand Canyon. Just forget about it. Right. So we've we've spoken a bit about the the problem. You know, we mentioned the, the data integrity problem, um, deficiencies there. Uh, we also spoke about the irreproducibility of data uh, and and issues around that. What are what are the next steps? Kind of, um, I know you're involved with the Allotrope Foundation. I know there are a few other organizations um, that are looking at data standardization. Uh, what what is this approach, and why do we need it now? Yeah, well, there's. I mean, we could start with why now. Um, the you know, there's a Fair to say, there's a significant pressure on on, the, on our industry, the pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical industry, uh, both in terms of 
just general R&D productivity, right? The rate at which we are able to discover and bring new medicines to market. Right. It's not, it's not getting any easier. And, you know, there are significant um, drivers to try and reduce the cost and make that more efficient. Um, it's already a very long process, you know, 12 years on average from from start to market. Yeah, so, I mean, there was, there was some recognition a number of years ago by, by folks that, um, uh, you know, technically it is possible to solve this problem, right? As I, as I cited before with other industries, you know, the telecom, mobile, um, standardization has been um, very successful and, and actually unleashed a lot of value. Um so it's tractable. Um, we just we thought maybe we hadn't really kind of taken the right result. Um, it's 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 a industry wide problem, so it has to be solved by the industry. We can't you know, one company can't do it. Um, one one entity, you know, is not going to be able to do it. Both from the standpoint of kind of building the. Um, the buy-in to the approach and building, you know, a collaborative approach to it, but from the standpoint of resources. So, um, you know, it has become significantly more common to sort of build a, build a pre-competitive collaboration recognition that, you know, this is an issue that is outside of the space that we compete on in terms of drugs and targets of things. And it's something that is a drag on the whole industry. It's something that delays getting medicine to patients and increases the cost of medicine to patients. So there's every reason in the world to help one another solve it and then get back to the work that where we actually add value, which is in new medicines. Um, so that that sort of leads to this the if you find enough of the like-minded people you know the the ability to start to collaborate um and then with an allotrope before we before we actually launched the foundation we spent a fair bit of time trying to understand um the history of doing this in our industry because this is not by any means the first effort to try and standardize a data format um, there are some that have been around for quite a while, and, and you know some of them have held up fairly well over time, and 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 some of them haven't. Right, either the technology has has lapped them, um, or you know the support for them, um, or even just the work to develop in the first place just didn't have enough critical mass of our of our industry or our vendors behind it. And then and the, you, you mentioned the you mentioned the vendor partners, so. Whilst we were driven to solve this as an industry because. Um, you know, frankly, it aligns most with our industry, our missions, right, of our of our main companies to um, to reduce the cost and get more efficient. Um, we recognize that to do this, the science that we do is is completely dependent on instrumentation and software from the commercial ecosystem. Um, while we do some IT development less and less, um, com you know, compared to maybe 20 years ago, but it's 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 minuscule compared to what we purchase in the outside world. And so, you know, we felt it was absolutely critical to bring that commercial ecosystem on board with us and in, in on this journey in order to, 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 to make this change. So you mentioned two components to this, which are the other research organizations, other pharmaceutical companies, uh, and then the second arm of it are the vendors. Um, Understanding that this is in the context of, of a pre-competitive space, uh, how, how do you encourage people to, to have those conversations? How do you start the conversation of let's move towards data standardization? Um, it, it's actually pretty simple. You just you, you start at the right level. Everybody recognizes the the um, the pain points, the goal <laughs> and the outcome. Right. So, I mean, you know, it, it's it's 
true. Our pain points actually are just passed on. Um, it, it really comes down to the degree to which we can accelerate R&D um, and, and get medicines out faster, both to reduce our costs and, and to reduce the, the patient's cost. Uh, and, and even even find, you know, be more, be more successful at finding novel medicines because, I mean, if we're suffering problems with our data because we can't find it, we can't integrate it, um, we don't know what we're missing. You know, we don't know what the lost opportunity cost is, in quotes, right, for, for not only a novel cure or, um, or a competitive advantage. Because we're not putting the data together in the right way, we're hindered by that. So if you stand back and you get people aligned on that, um, you know, our, our vendors recognize that when we're successful, they're successful. And, you know, frankly, I think most of the people that we partner with um, it, it can find resonance with the overall mission of the industry. I mean, it's not hard. <laughs> right. So looking across the, the experimental data continuum, uh, you know, from planning, acquisition, processing, analyzing, reporting, storing, uh, how, do we, how do we address those gaps um, in, in both collecting the data as well as the metadata? Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because even some of the, the earlier standards really focused on the results, right? When when all is said and done, what did we measure and we capture that? Sure. A lot of times, not even the raw data, but you know the frankly the the history or the provenance of that result started when somebody had the idea or the request to measure it. So um, it includes expanding uh, what we consider the necessary metadata for that result. It's not just the parameters on the instrument or how much sample or which sample. It's all those other steps upstream. And so then it, 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 it means if we're building a vocabulary or a taxonomy or ontology, um, building out our ontology in a way that in fact describes the overall process. It describes all the, the components of it, the roles of it, um, the types of materials and the processes from the beginning to end. And that way we've got, you know, that, that whole workflow described in a common language and, it, and then it fits in, a, in one package at the end of the day. So this is an approach um, that unambiguously describes the, the data and as well as the structure of, of, of the data. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yep. You spoke a bit about getting buy-in from, from multiple instrument vendors, you know, as part of this ecosystem how would you approach any pushback that you, you would receive from any of these um, instrument vendors? There's really no pushback on the, on the notion of harmonization at the level of the data, the data structures. And um, I think many of the partners that we have are out giving presentations at conference saying that this is the direction we're going. Everybody should go this way. So we, we spoke about the, the issue uh, or, or need around standardization, uh, talked about this um, Talked about some of the benefits as well as this particular approach using semantics, uh, defining ontologies and, and vocabularies in the data model. What do you think is needed uh, to drive this catalytic change towards more data standardization and, and towards harmonization of data? Yeah, so um, I, I think we're making we, we've made good progress in figuring out how to um, operationalize the standardization of the vocabularies and the data structures. There were definitely some things we needed to learn because we're, we're doing some things that haven't been done before or in a way that haven't been done before. Um, but I think, you know, getting more robust at that process-wise is still room for growth. But I think the next is, you know, frankly, bringing some of our own companies up to speed on uh, the, the potential and a general recognition that 
um, it, it's going to take some uh, a long-term strategic approach to implement um, some of the software and, and, and bring in some of the new products to, to bring this to bear. There's always motivations to do things faster and more efficiently for less money when it comes to IT. Right. While there's also this recognition, right, that data is the fundamental currency of research. Well, thank you for listening to Buy Your Radio. I'd like to thank Dana for being our guest today, speaking with us about data standardization. To join the conversation, visit our blog, buyerrad.io, and don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. This podcast is an original creation of Biorad Laboratories. Biorad is a trademark of Biorad Laboratories Incorporated. All trademarks mentioned herein are the property of their respective owner.